Okay, everybody in John chapter 1? Man, we got into this last week, covered a lot of ground. Two verses in. So today we pick it up, yeah. Today we pick it up in in verse 3 of chapter 1. Now last week, we were introduced to the Word. Now as we continue on here today and through this chapter, I want us to continue to kind of look at this wow factor of the word. And the word, of course, just to spoiler alert, but we went over it last week, it's Jesus. This is who John is speaking of, that the word was in the beginning, the word was with God, and the word was God. And so we're going to look a little bit more today at this word and the wow factor of this word. Here's what we're going to look at essentially here today is first of all, verses three to five, we're going to see the work of the word, verses 6 to 8, the witness to the word, verses 9 to 13, the wealth from the word, and verses 14 to 18, we'll see the wonder in the word. So again, let's start in verse 1, let's read through to verse 5, just to give us a a bit of a, a running start here. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So here we see that Jesus now, he, he's not just, you know, with God in the beginning and, and is God, but he now is referenced as the agent that is being used, the active agent in creation. And we see that elsewhere in Scripture. This is not a new thought with John. Paul touches on this in, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. In him, all things are created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things are created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things consist. And that idea of all things consisting means essentially that all things are like held together. And even scientists today, they're, they're looking at all the work going on in the universe and the, the atoms and, and how there's... I mean, I'm, I, I am so not intellectual. So... All this stuff, I mean, I have no idea either, but even scientists are baffled over how these atoms with, with repelling forces and, and negative charges and such, and, and how everything is kept from just like poof, exploding, right? Like your head wants to do after a message here at Riverside, you're saying, wow, it's amazing. It's no, not quite, but you get the idea that, that there's times where people are like, how does this, it's right here in God's word for us that it's Jesus who made everything and who is also holding it all together from just going crazy. Paul also says in Ephesians 1, or sorry, Ephesians 3 verse 9, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. So, like I said, here John is referencing now this word as being this creative agent that, that Jesus is with God in the beginning. There's fellowship, there's unity, there's the Trinity. And God is creating the world through Jesus. And when you look all around us in our creation, especially on a day like this, when, I mean, isn't this beautiful? It's like, Winter, but it feels like spring. The sun is out. You're driving here and you see the mountains and it's glorious and you just reason. Uh, it doesn't take an, an intellect or a, a religious person to kind of go, man, 
this is too good to be just coming about by random chance. And yet, isn't that the way that so many people like to just kind of explain things away so as to not have to give accountability to there being a God? It, 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 most people will reason that when you look at something, whether it be a building or a car, you say, hey, there's a builder, there's a designer behind that, right? There's something that worked that is, is, is creating all of that. I had a chance when I was away on our, our vacation uh, to just share with somebody and, and we, we got on a conversation of, of spiritual things and we were, you know, just sitting in a hot tub, which is a great place to do witnessing, by the way. Uh, you know, you got a captive audience. Nobody wants to get out and towel off and it's cold. And, and, and also as you're sharing, I mean, it's, it's hot in there and it just aids to the, you know, conviction just setting in the heat of conviction. It's just a great place to do ministry and witnessing. So we're in the hot tub and, and I'm starting to talk about this thing. And right away when we start coming on to the conversation about you know, God being this creator. It's like, oh, no, no, that's, no, you don't tell me there's a God. I said, but when you look at a building like this, you know, where we're staying, I said, look at this building here. You know, how does that come about? Well, there's a, somebody builds it. I said, yeah, somebody builds that, right? He goes, yeah, us, we build it. I said, well, what about our lives where we're even more in the human body and the DNA and the structure, how we're even more intricately and wonderfully designed than just a building or a car? How do you reason about that? Well, it's just like, oh, well, that's just, you know, that just came about by just, you know, over millions of years and just, you know, things just forming together. I said, well, what formed it together? How did there become the initial life in that? Well, it's just, that's not God. And, and he just... It's unreasonable. It's reasonable to say, yeah, there's a builder behind that building, but it's all the more than reasonable to say, you look at our human bodies and how much you have to say, there's a designer behind that. And so John is introducing us now to this one that brought about everything. It was done through Jesus. He's the Life. And look at what we read next there in verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. You see, a lot of people like to say, well, we came about by just, you know, it, from, you know, the goo to the zoo to you is what they'll say, right? It, like just some kind of substance formed, and then it created the first kind of life, and then it, it you know, evolved into us, right? The goo to the zoo to you. But but where'd that first goo substance come? Where, where'd the first life come from? You see, physical matter does not give rise to life. Life, however, gives rise to matter. Once upon a time, there was only life and there was no matter. But then that personal life created matter and there was both then life and matter. Jesus, you see, he was that life. And he doesn't just grant life to people. It, notice he is that life. He is that life. It's all wrapped up in him. That's why we can sing and, and read about in John's gospel, John 14, verse 6, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And this life, now Jesus, what, is, what has he done? It says that he came and he showed us our darkness. This life became a light to shine in and reveal in our lives what we were lacking, what we were missing, to reveal our condition, Right? You need light to, to kind of see that. When you're in the dark, it's hard to identify things, right? 
Have you ever gone into a place and it's just that there's no light and you're not sure what's really around you and you're a little bit creeped out? You know, you could go into somebody's house and the lights are all off, curtains are drawn, you don't know if the couch you're sitting on is just a complete filthy mess or you don't know what's going on. Suddenly lights appear and you realize, oh my goodness, there's dishes piled up in the sink. You know, there's garbage piled up in the corner. You're just sitting in filth. You don't realize that unless the lights are on. Hope I'm not describing anybody's home here today, but uh, if so, just you know, take care of that later. But, but you see, you need the light to expose your surroundings, your condition, in a sense. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to illuminate through his life, who is the life, the things that were out of order in our life. And notice we read there that in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Didn't comprehend it. Now, a better way to translate that word comprehend would be to say that the darkness did not overcome it or extinguish it. See, the light reveals the sin of man. People don't want to have to deal with their sin. That's why oftentimes people, when you're talking with them about spiritual things, they're just quick to say, oh no, there's no God. Because they don't want to deal with it, right? They don't want to deal with their condition, their state. They don't want to be accountable to anything. And so they're quick to say no. But... That light comes in and oftentimes what people do, rather than dealing with their condition, they just want to hide in the darkness or try to extinguish the darkness. You see, this light, who is Jesus Christ, did indeed come into the world and shone into the darkness. And people try to put it out. They crucified Jesus, the light of the world. Luke 23 tells us even that when Jesus was on the cross, that the sun became dark. There was a darkness that came over the land physically. And and yet we know that that was just temporary because Jesus died, but he rose again. And the light continues to shine today. Are we letting that light shine and impact people? Now, we're not to be those that are being an annoying light, like how kids, when they get a flashlight in their hands, they want to what they do, shine that right in your eyes. You know, we're not to be annoying and just kind of blind people and, and, and bother them, but we're to be shining that light, you see, of Jesus Christ. Matthew's gospel tells us, Jesus says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. He doesn't say, you will be the light of the world, or I'm going to make you a light. He says, you are already. And that's what you're to be ongoing, a light in this world. Don't hide that light. Be a reflection of the light. Now, interestingly, in John's gospel, light and life become two major themes that we see running through this whole gospel. Light and life is going to be a repeated kind of theme that John's going to be touching on. And interesting, I think you can make a case that the two greatest fears that people have would be darkness and death darkness and death and so here john is making a case to show that we don't have to be troubled over our fears because we have one that overrides and overrules those things that gives us hope and encouragement is found in jesus christ as believers in him we don't have to be living in fear any longer because he's that light and life for us look at verse six we've seen now the work of the word active in creation shining light into the world And now we see the witness to this word. 
Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. So here we're introduced to John the Baptist. This isn't John the writer of this book. In fact, John the writer of this book, who's John the Apostle, a disciple of Christ, he never refers to himself as John in the book. Every time he's referring to himself, he'll say, the disciple whom Jesus loved, or the other disciple, something like that. So he never refers to himself by his name. So here he just says John. But the other Gospels refer to him as John the Baptist, this one that's sent now as a witness to this light, to Jesus Christ. And, and so John had this unique role in history. In fact, his was a very unique role in the sense that he was the last of the Old Testament prophets. God, all through the Old Testament, was raising up prophets to sound forth, you know, this work that God was doing and wanting to direct people back to this work of the Lord. Well, John becomes the last of the Old Testament prophets and now a forerunner to Jesus Christ. He's the one that gets to point people now to the fulfillment of all the promises that the Old Testament prophets were seeking to speak out on. And so he's got a very specific role and purpose. It says there in verse 6 that he was sent from God. Do you imagine that? Do you imagine being sent from God? Imagine, you know, just an envelope saying, you know, here's your mission, should you choose to accept it, signed God, right? I mean, that'd be pretty weighty, that'd be pretty heavy, right? But here's John now with a direct purpose, and mission. He's sent from God to be a forerunner. He's got a specific role and purpose to fulfill. But how about you? Could you define what your purpose is? If someone were to ask you, what's your, what's your role in life? What's, you know, your purpose? Would you be able to answer that? And I think some of us, you know, we can answer that in a very specific way and say, yeah, this is what I've been created to do. This is what God has called me to do. And, and some of us can answer that in a very specific way, but all of us as believers in Jesus have a very general purpose that we are all seeking to fulfill. In fact, Jesus makes that pretty clear to us even in this gospel. Let me jump ahead to John chapter 15, verse 16 to 17, which Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you that you love one another. So in a general way, all of us have been called to be fruit bearers. To be fruit bearers. How are we going to be fruit bearers? Well, by being connected to the vine. We don't just sit there and, 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 and like try to muster up fruit and be like, okay, come on, grapes, grow. Come on, oranges, grow. Be fruitful. We don't must. No, it all just, the branch doesn't have to work on it. The branch just has to be connected to the tree. To bear fruit. And as we're connected to the tree, well, what kind of fruit do we then bear? Well, we bear the fruits of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We bear the fruit of the Spirit, but in so doing, what we're, we're doing is being a witness. That's what I think all of us, and, and, and the Bible makes that clear as well with the Great Commission, the general calling and purpose for all believers to go out into the world and make disciples. So call it be a witness, as Jesus said in, in, in John 15 as well, to, to love one another. These are the general things that we can, we can say is our, our purpose. To be fruitful, be witnesses, to make disciples, to love one another, to reflect Jesus. And so John, 
He's sent to be that witness of Jesus, that light of the world. And that through John's witness, it says that people might believe. Do you you realize something here? Do you realize that God is looking to you to point people to Jesus? That God is calling out to you to point others to Jesus? Does he need you? No, not at all. Is he kind of without options without you? Not at all. But here's the great thing is that God loves to partner with his people. He loves to call his people into service and ministry because that's where where relationship and fellowship is enjoyed as you partner and work together. And God calls us to carry out his work because then we get invited into just a greater and deeper walk with the Lord. And there's great blessing that comes as we begin to use these lives, which he not only made, but he bought back through redeeming us on the cross. And he uses us to carry out his purposes. There's a wonderful blessing that comes to us as we do that. It builds us, it strengthens us as we step out and take on that responsibility as being witnesses of the Lord. And Paul challenges us this way. He writes in Romans chapter 10, Verse 14 to 17. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? And he, and he kind of works backwards, right? That's kind of what he's doing. How are they going to believe? Well, let's, let's work back. How, oh, it begins by people preaching to them and then being sent. And he says, and, and how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring Glad tidings of good things. That's what we get to do, right? We get to bring glad tidings of good things. That Jesus died for you. He loves you. He wants you to experience life in him. These are glad tidings of good things. But he goes on to say, but they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Not everybody's going to receive it. And that's fine. But here's what we understand. That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. People aren't going to come to faith unless... They hear. And how are they going to hear? By us going and sharing and being witnesses. If you've been saved through Jesus Christ, then this is something you have a responsibility in. And you might think, oh no, hold on. No, no, no. Hey, back up here, friend. No, you don't know me. You don't know how much of a struggle this is for me. I don't know how to share the gospel. I'm not a preacher. That's your job. But... Here's the great thing is that we just simply tell people what Jesus has done for us. Every person that's put their faith in Jesus has acknowledged Jesus as their Lord and Savior, seen the, the life and the forgiveness of sin he brings you, and you have a story to tell now. You just get to pass on other people what Jesus has done for you. You don't need to quote scripture inside out. You don't need to know, you know what four spiritual laws are. You just need to tell them what Jesus has done for you. That's in him I have hope and I have life and I have not only life now but eternal life. Everyone has a story to tell. And you don't have to be perfect. You just need to reflect Jesus. Even John, the apostle now, makes that clear regarding John the Baptist, who's sent directly of God to be a witness. But notice here, he says in verse 8, he was not that light. He's not the guy you're to look to. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Do you catch that? John's not the light. Sometimes we think that we need to win people over by our religious fervor or our pious perfection. That I can't go and talk to somebody because I'm just, I'm just normal. 
And I don't want them to think, you know, uh, I don't have my act together, so I can't. No, we're not the light. And sometimes we think that if we're going to be a witness, well, we've got to have everything together. We've got to be perfect. And sometimes what we end up doing is that we're pointing people to us rather than to Jesus. Our job is not to point people to us and say, oh, look at me. You've got to be more like me. That's not the job. And, and yes, we know that Paul would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ, but that's the goal there. He's saying, listen, I'm, I'm imitating Christ. So we should be able to show people what Jesus looks like by our life, but ultimately we're pointing them to Jesus. So don't let your inadequacies, your insecurities rob you from being a witness. You're not required to be completely perfect. Listen, you're not Jesus. And you never will be. But we get to point people to who he is. So don't let anything get in the way of you reflecting that light. Don't let anything get in the way. It's like that illustration of the moon. You see, the moon doesn't radiate its own light. It reflects the light of the sun. Now, when does that sun, or when does the moon not give its light? When the world comes in between the sun and the moon. And it's not like that for us. You see, all we're to do is not be the light, but we're to reflect the light of the sun, S-O-N, Jesus Christ. And as long as we're staying in proximity to Jesus, we're going to be reflecting his light But what can cause the light of the sun, S-O-N, to diminish in our lives? It's when we allow the world, the things of the world, to get in between, to begin to take priority, to have dominance in our lives, and it'll begin to diminish the light of Jesus shining on us. Let's be sure that we're staying in close proximity to Jesus, that we're in direct lines, that that Jesus can just be shining his light on our lives, and that we can reflect him and point people to him. So go and just bear witness of that light. Spend time with Jesus. Grow in your understanding of all he's done for you and all he is to you. And you will naturally be radiating him and speaking of him. Now, so we've seen the work of the word, creation. We've seen the witness to the word, as John the Baptist was and as all of us are called to be. Well, let's look now at the wealth from the word, verse 9. Verse 9 goes on to say, That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. So here's the great thing. This light has come for every person. Now, some people can read this verse and go, Well, that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. When they come into the world, light hits. And that's true in a sense that when a baby is born, they Bust forth out of the womb, right? That's probably a bad way to explain it. That's moms right now are cringing. Sorry about that. Uh, and so when the baby comes out, they're in darkness in the womb, but then all of a sudden, boom, they're hit with light. Woo! They're in the world. There's light. But, but, so that's true, but here's how this verse really is being broken down. It's saying, that was the true light, which coming into the world, Jesus, now gives light to every man. Jesus, you see, came into the world to shine light into the darkness of the world and to illuminate every life, every person. So here's the great thing when it comes to us 
Witnessing, reflecting the light of Jesus, we don't have to be picky or choosy on who we do this with, right? We don't have to be looking back going, now that doesn't really look like Christian material there to me. Nah, that's probably not who God wants to save. That person over there, nah, looks like it's going to be too much work. Oh, there, okay, yeah. That person looks like the prime candidate for me to go. We, no. God is no respecter of persons. God is not looking at some and saying, yeah, I'm going to choose to save them, but I'm not going to. No, he wants to shine the light on every person. That's exactly what Jesus did. That light came for every person and so too for us. We don't have to get choosy or picky over who we witness to and try to, you know, think, ah, oh, that. No, we just want to reflect all that Jesus is to every person, to all life around us. Now, that was the true light John says about Jesus. Because all through history, there's been those that have come on the scene that have tried to be that light. They've been ones that have, have come on and, and, and said, follow me. I got the answers. I got the truth. Listen to me. But yet, John says about Jesus, he alone was the true light. And even people had to clarify with John the Baptist, because when John the Baptist comes on the scene, people were like, are you the guy that we need to be following? Are you the one that's fulfilling all the promises of God? Are you the one that, that we need to look to? And so even with John... He had to clarify, no, I'm not the one. I'm not the one. He's not the light. And that's why John says that in verse 8. But jump down to verse 10 here. It says, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. We read that Jesus came into a world that he himself had made. And if anyone had any right to claim authority... It was Jesus. I mean, he could have just come on the scene and said, listen, guys, you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for me. I brought you into this world. I can take you out, right, parents? Anybody, you said, don't, you said, it's not good. But he had the authority to come in and say, you better follow me because you wouldn't have been here if it wasn't for me. I made all this, right? But he doesn't do that. He comes into the world, and even though the world was made through him, the world did not know him. And even came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Now, his own could be referencing all of humanity in the sense that he came as man. He came to represent all of humanity, but all of humanity didn't receive him. And in large part, the majority, you could say, make a case that, yeah, the world's rejected him for the most part. But this would have even more specific reference to his own people, the, the Jews, because Jesus came... In the line of the Jewish people, this was the chosen nation of God. Not that they were more special or more deserving, but this was simply a nation that God chose to bring the word through, to to bring his promises through, and his promises were all linked to the Messiah, Jesus, that would come out of that line and out of that nation. So they're not more special or better. This is just the nation that God used to bring the Messiah through. But even though there was that People there, when Jesus comes onto the scene, Jews who were knowing the promises, ready for it, they didn't receive him. They didn't recognize Jesus to be this one. 
And in stating this here, John is really giving us a glimpse into a lot of stuff that we're going to be seeing through the book of John as we study through this here on Sundays. Because as Jesus goes about his ministry, the people that were opposing him the most were the religious leaders, the Jews. The people that should have known and been ready for Jesus coming on the scene. That had the word of God but began to abuse these things for their own power. For the praise of man rather than the praise of God. And so interestingly it's going to be the, the religious leaders, the, his own people. That are going to provide the, the greatest opposition against Jesus in his ministry. So John just gives us a little bit of a sneak peek into what's going to be happening. Now it, it brings me to a question today. Think about this in terms of today. Why do people reject Jesus? I mean, here we have the embodiment of God. He's full of grace and truth. Sinless, he's loving, he's gracious and kind. He, sir, he, he, he gave up his life so that we could have life in him. Why would people not receive him? What do you, what, if I, let's, let's hear some, some responses. Why do you think people reject Jesus today? Because they're broken? They're, they're broken? Okay. Pride, that's a big one. Sin, did somebody say? Yeah, okay. Accountability, who said, yeah, they, they don't want to be accountable to God, right? Good, what else? Pardon me? Yeah, just doing their own thing, want to be their own God. Pardon me? Ego, yeah. Judgment, those are good, really good. Pardon me? Poor teaching, thanks, all right. All right. Uh, was that in response to the question, or you just thought that was a good time to say, Brent, time to pick it up? Was that just the, the right one? No, I, I know. Yeah, parents not teaching kids. That's good. Thank you. The only time Tony was not trying to be funny, and, and yet he's still funny. Okay. That's great. I love you. So, um, but yeah, and that's a big part, too, in the sense that sometimes people reject Jesus simply because of the the witness they see in other people or the lack of witness or they think if that person is a Christian and they're living like that then why do I need Jesus? Why do I want that? There's, as we've seen, there's a lot of reasons why people reject Jesus. But in the end, a lot of it is just, again, we have an enemy who's at work who's wanting to blind people from receiving the truth and receiving life the enemy is a defeated being and, and he's looking simply to drag as many people down with him as possible. And we're going to pray for those people that we are, are witnessing to that, that we're asking the Lord even to increase our heart for the lost. In fact, I mean, this coming year, what are we challenging our church to do? Campaign of plus one. Plus one, inviting somebody, bringing somebody with you to church. And I hope you're, you're sharing the gospel and seeing the people, but I encourage you to invite somebody to church that, Again, they might just come and have an opportunity to hear the gospel. I'm, I'm making it easy for you where you don't have to be the person to share the gospel. You just need to invite them to church and, and I'll do my best to share the gospel. As we go through this book of John and look at the life of Jesus, we want people to be saved, changed, to find life in Jesus who is the only source of life. So I encourage you, be praying for somebody that you can invite to church and, and bring them out with you. And I hope you'll do that more than just one Sunday this coming year. But here we see now, as we continue on, the wonderful promise to those who do receive Jesus. This is where we see this wealth from the word. Look at verse 12. But as many as received him, 
To them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. See, when we receive Jesus, we become children of God. That's amazing. Now, John, John links this receiving of Jesus to more than just, you know, grabbing a hold and making Jesus like another accessory in your life. This idea of receiving Jesus is tied to this whole concept of believing in him, which is more than just believing in God. As a lot of people say, ah, I, I believe in God. But what John is getting at is his believing is an active believing. It's, it's speaking of faith, putting your full dependency on Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people that will believe in God, but they haven't put their full trust in him for the forgiveness of sin and, and to be their savior, that life is found in him. That's what Jesus has come to do. That's why John is writing this whole book. That's the, the whole theme or, or, or his whole purpose in writing this. As we saw last week, John 20, verse 31, he says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Believing putting your faith in, your trust in, your dependency on Jesus. That's what God is calling us all to do. You see, without Jesus, we're just lost in our own sin. We're separated from God because of our sin. Everybody has been in that place. Everybody's experienced that. But it's those that put their faith in Jesus that now get pulled out of darkness and into his light. They get pulled out of death and placed in his life. It's those that have put their trust in Jesus that now are what we call born again. They become children of God. This is speaking of this new birth that God desires to bring. Just like every child has to be born physically, right? In the same way, as a child is born physically and enters in the world, so to a child of God must be born not physically but spiritually. Be born again. And notice here, John begins to bring up for us three ways that this isn't accomplished and one way that it is. He says, it's not a blood. You're not a child of God by blood. In other words, this life doesn't get passed down to you by previous family. You might have Christian parents that have raised you in the church. That does not make you a Christian. Just as much as Hanging out at McDonald's every week doesn't make you a Big Mac, right? I mean, well, it'll make you big, yeah, and, but it won't make you a Big Mac, that's right. So the saying is true, right? You know, God has no grandkids. And sometimes we think, well, I'm a Christian. Why are you a Christian? Well, you know, that's just kind of what my, my parents taught, and that's what my parents were, and so I'm just a... listen. You do not inherit the Christian gene, okay? You need to make that decision yourself. It's not a blood, it's not passed down. John also says it's not of the will of the flesh. In other words, you can't make this happen in your own ability or effort as a lot of people are attempting to do. That's what religion teaches. Religion teaches you need to just try hard, do your best, live an upright life. And it's man trying to reach God. But Christianity is God who came down and reached man. As we'll see in a second here. He came down to where we were on our level to save us. 
It's not of the will of the flesh. We can't do it. We can't reach perfection in and of ourselves. It's also not of the will of man. It's not of the will of man. All right? As much as a person might have a zeal to see a loved one, a friend, a family member saved, they can't save that person. I was going to play a, a clip um, from Nacho Libre. I asked the morning service, anybody seen the movie Nacho Libre? And I was like, two hands went up. How many people see Nacho Libre here? Okay, this was the service I should have had the clip for, sorry. But you know that clip of Nacho Libre, and he's out with his friend, I'm concerned about your salvation and stuff, right? And his friend is his wrestling partner. He's like, I'm tired of you always judging me for my, you know, my science, my belief in science. And then there's Nacho in the background filling up a bucket of water, comes up behind him and just like, be baptized! Puts his head in there, right? Those of you that haven't seen Nacho Libre, you're like, why, what is that all about? Those of you that have seen it, you're like, yeah, that's, but that's how we can be sometimes. We're like just trying to force things. It's not of the will of man. But here's how it is. John says, it's of God. This is a work that God does. He's the one that saves. He's the one that brings about life in a person. Now, yes, he wants us to be those instruments, vessels, those, those witnesses where we are pointing people to Jesus. But they need to make that decision and God's the one that saves and brings them into the family of God. We'll see that idea developed, this whole idea of being born again developed in John 3 and Jesus in his conversation with Nicodemus. But when we believe, when a person believes and puts their trust in Jesus, you're now a part of the family of God. And you become heirs of the riches and blessings in heavenly places. Just read through Ephesians 1 verses 3 to 14 to see the incredible wealth that we have as being family God. It doesn't get any better than this. We have life now, hope, eternal life. A heavenly inheritance. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing that's in the heavenly places in Christ. And I encourage you, if you are here today and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I, I invite you. Man, open your heart to him because he's there saying, I want you to come in, I want you to experience life in me. It's our sin that gets in the way of that, and he's already covered that through his death on the cross, providing you forgiveness, redemption, life in him. And all it takes is you putting your faith and your trust in Jesus. You don't have to jump through any spiritual hoops. You don't have to sign up to a church or sign up to some religion. You just simply are saying, I need you, Jesus. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. That's all it takes. And if you're here today and you haven't done that, I encourage you, don't put that off any longer. Let me just finish this out here quickly here, verse 14. So we've seen the work of the word, creation. We've seen the witness to the word, John the Baptist, all of us. We've seen the wealth from the word. And now we look at the wonder in the word. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. So here John makes very clear, you know, this word that, was spoken of earlier in the chapter that is, always has been, well, it now became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, right? And so it notes there's a change that took place, not a change in who Jesus is, 
but a change in how he revealed himself to us. He took on humanity. Again, like I said, God came down to our level. He became like us so that he could provide salvation for us. Now, that word dwelt is an interesting Greek word. It's the word skinu, and it means to live, to take up residence, or to fix one's tabernacle. All right? Now, notice, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. His glory. This very kind of weight and presence of God, which the Old Testament saints here would recognize full well, the Jewish nation would know full well, that that glory was seen there in the tabernacle or the temple, where God said, it is here that I will dwell and meet with my people. The glory resided there. But now, John says, this person, Jesus, came down, he took upon, took flesh, and he dwelt among us, or he tabernacled among us. He came in a way where we could behold now the glory of the Lord. It was tangible. You could see his glory. John writes in his epistle, John chapter 1, how they have, have seen, heard, they've handled this word of life, Jesus Christ. And he says, we write these things so that your joy may be full. John wants us to experience this life in Jesus, that our joy might be full. So this is what God has done for us. Also that we might experience fellowship with him, that our joy may be full as John writes in his letter. And Jesus is a joy because he so perfectly balances grace and truth. He is full of these things, it says, full of grace and truth. Listen, a person can be full of grace, but be lacking truth. And that kind of person, they're, they're just kind of flaky, even deceitful. They just want everything to be, you know, rosy and comfortable and fine. Oh, no, you look, you look great, you know, and you've got like toilet paper on your shoe. You've got your shirt tucked in your underwear. And they're just like, oh, no, you just look wonderful. It's just, just go. It's just great, you know. They don't want to be truthful. That's flaky and deceitful. But you can also have a person that's full of truth, but be lacking grace. And they just become rather harsh or even condemning you know and they just say things that's truthful like maybe you know your breath stinks and it might be truthful but it can be hurtful have a little more tact in that right and so jesus however he comes with a perfect balance of these two he's full of grace and truth he lets you know what is right and true without making you feel condemned and unloved. And John, in verse 15, he bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now that can sound very confusing to us, but John is simply saying, and interesting, John, the Baptist, and Jesus were cousins. Jesus was born six months after John the Baptist. That's why he says he came after me. But he can also say he is preferred because he is before me. John recognized the eternalness of Jesus Christ. That he was in the beginning. Before the beginning. Pre-existent. Always was. So that's why John could say he's preferred. He's, he's preeminent. He's before all things. Not just before John, but all things. And verse 16 of his fullness, we've all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, the word that John uses for fullness is also a great word. It is pleroma, and it means the sum total of all that is God. 
It's a word which Paul uses often in Colossians 1.19. He says that the pleroma dwelt in Christ. In Colossians 2.9 he says that in Christ there dwelt the pleroma of deity in a bodily form. He meant that in Jesus there dwelt the totality of the wisdom, the power, and the love of God. Just because of that, Jesus is inexhaustible. We can go to Jesus with any need and find that need supplied. That's why John says grace for grace, which might kind of be lost in that translation. But what he's saying is there's grace upon grace. It just keeps flowing with Jesus. You can't run out of his grace. You cannot exhaust it. It just keeps coming. Now, here's the contrast that we see between what was and what is now. Because he brings up the law. The law was given through Moses. Moses was seen as that spiritual pillar, wasn't he? A hero in Israel's eyes. But Jesus Christ comes and he delivers something better than the law. He brought this grace and truth. Here's why it's better. Under the law, God demands righteousness from people. Under grace, he gives it to people. Under law, righteousness is based on Moses and good works. Under grace, it is based on Christ and Christ's character and his work done for you. Under law, blessings accompany obedience. Under grace, um, God bestows his blessings as a free gift. The law is powerless to secure righteousness and life for a sinful race. Grace came in its fullness with Christ's death and resurrection to make sinners righteous before God. I'll take grace any old day over law. I don't like law. I don't like doing the speed limit. I really don't. I like grace. The law, the law points us to what is right. The law is not bad, it's good. Because it shows us what God demands for righteousness. But the law also is meant to show us that we can't do it. We can't earn it. We can't make it if it's us trying to do it. We need something greater. And that's where Jesus comes in, full of grace and truth and grace upon grace. Jesus comes in. That's why he came to this world, clothed in humanity, dwelt among us so that he could show us the way to God. And it didn't come through religion. It didn't come through works. It came through a person, Jesus Christ. He shows us the way. No one, verse 18, has seen God any time, the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, He has declared him. So here is this wow factor of the word. The works of the word are seen in that he he created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. He brought witnesses into the world to testify of him and point people to Jesus. We're called to do that. He's provided a great wealth to us as we've been adopted in as children of God, full heirs and The word is such a wonder to behold because we have seen the glory of the Father through him full of grace and truth. He is a God that is worthy to be praised. Amen? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word and for your truth here today. And we thank you that you are. You are the truth. You're the way, the truth, and life. We find it all in you. You supplied that for us. And I pray for those here today that may not know you, God, that you would just do that work in calling out to them, leading them to you. Help them to see that, Lord, this salvation is free. It's a gift. And all we need to do is accept it. 
And I pray that many today, Lord, will receive that salvation, not only here in this church, but all through Langley, all through the greater Vancouver areas. The word is going forth in churches that people would come to know you as their Lord and Savior and find the blessed life that you have for them. And do that this coming year, Lord. Would you add to this place, Lord, by, by seeing people come to know you, Lord, and just strengthen us in you. May this be a, a, an exciting just time going through the book of John that would just encourage us, strengthen us in our faith, and draw us closer to you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.